Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a very special guest joining us today from Des Moines, Iowa. I have Dr. Jan Fried on with me. We'll see you in just a second. And we are back. Let me bring Jan on. Dr. Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm honored. I'm honored. You're the doctor. <laughs> I'm just some guy that interviews people. Well, you break through walls, though. We help some people break through walls. That is the truth. So, so hey, um, you were referred to me by our mutual buddy, Zach Benson. Yeah. And he is a superstar. He is a stu I call him a rock star. That's true. He is a rock star. I would say that's a good good definition or description of him as well. So so let's talk about like you know, this I started this show, it was about two and a half years ago, um, to help people get unstuck in life. And I think we all go through crud and and sometimes we get stuck there and and I'm excited to to hear your story and talk about some of the challenges you've had. So let's start with where you were born and raised. Okay, so I am from Iowa. All of my education, high school, college, masters, PhD, everything's in from Iowa. So I'm very much an Iowan. Um, we live here out of choice. Um, my dad used to say that uh, living in Iowa forces you to travel. So, you know, we take vacations because we, we have to. So, um, yeah, I have three grown sons. One's in New York, one's in San Francisco, and one lives here. So married, three grown sons. Um, and, uh, well, that's, that's a, you know, that's a good start. Yeah. So, so I, I told you before we started, I, I was in Des Moines <laughs> for a month. And it was back in my late 20s, and I may have still had a little bit of a party bug in me. And I could find nothing, nowhere to party. <laughs> well, I will tell you, uh, it has evolved. I mean, uh, honestly, <laughs> yeah, honestly, it is a great place to live. There are plenty of things to do. Yeah. Uh, there, it's easy to do, and it's affordable. So, yeah. Well, I'm from Ohio, so it's not a whole lot different. Mm -hmm. um, you may have a couple more cornfields than we have. Um, but I, I, I do remember, I, this has nothing to do with breaking through walls, but it was windy when I was there for the whole, like, I don't know if it's like that all the time, but I remember, is, there, is it I-80 that runs through yeah. Iowa? Right. So I remember seeing these triple trailer semi-trucks blown over on the road. Have you yeah, ever I seen that? Right. I like to say that we're on the way to everywhere because Des Moines <laughs> is right at the intersection. We, you know, I-80 goes through it and uh, yeah. I-35. So north, south, east, west, we've got it covered. So, yeah, yeah. So so talk about what it, what it was like for you growing up there. Were you, um, I mean, I know there, the, I was a big farming state for sure. Um, were you involved in any of that or I more city? Yeah, I definitely grew up in a farming community, but my yeah. dad managed uh, banks. So he managed three small banks in, in three small towns. And wow. he also had his own insurance agency. So while I grew up in a rural community, and I'm very familiar with that, um, my yeah. dad was kind of like part of the small business community. So Got it. So you you went to high school, all of that in in the greater Des Moines area, um, and and then you went on to college. And what what was what was your major in undergrad? Oh, it's always been business management, so business oh. management leadership. Yeah. Okay. So and Zach, then Zach Benson was one of my students in college. Really? 
Mm-hmm. Wow. I know Zach. Yes. So your PhD is in? It's actually in higher education administration because I thought I wanted to go into administration, which is really management. Um, yeah. But Zach took my leadership course and, you know, I'm very proud of what he's accomplished. Yeah, I can't give any credit for it, but I'm very proud of him. He's, um, he's that guy is a world traveler too, yeah, like big yeah. time. So, so, um, talk about like w- once you got out of, I mean, did you do all of your, your, all the way through PhD consecutively, or was it something you decided to add on later in life? I know a lot of people that do that. Yeah. Right. No, that's a good question. No, um, no, I was never thinking PhD. Um, I got college and I, I didn't want to work in a bank um, because I wasn't that excited about banking, but I that was the best offer I had at the time of getting out of college. And it was the largest bank in the state of Iowa. And it was uh, in Des Moines. So I did that for a few years and they had a uh, tuition reimbursement program. So that's how I got my MBA. Okay. They reimbursed that. And so I thought, well, I'm single. That's a good use of time. And then when I got just done with that, I really wanted to sell bank equipment to banks. Mm. And that's what I really wanted to do. But then where I went to undergrad, which is called Central College in Pella, Iowa, and that's where Zach went to, um, they called and said, you know, we heard you're getting your MBA. Would you want to teach? And I said, well, I've never thought of teaching. Um, I didn't take any education courses. They said, no, to teach at the college level, you don't need to take any education courses. So I always say to students, if you've had a, a professor in college that you didn't think was a very good teacher, they don't need to know about teaching. And so oh, um, I know it, it's really kind of surprising. So yeah, I love teaching. I really wrote, you know, I've written several books, but I wrote a, uh, like three books focused on higher education and one is really the subtitle is shifting the focus from teaching to learning. So I really did get, I'm really passionate about learning, learning at all levels, at all, all ages, all stages. Wow. So, so um, what are some of the, uh, along the way, I, I, I just, I, I, I didn't go to college. So um, although I do believe in education, it was around, 20 years old, I would say that I was like, wait a minute, I'm an idiot. I need to start learning. <laughs> and I, so I started buying books like crazy and just, uh, and I've spent my entire life doing that and I still do. Yeah. Um, but what are, what are some of the challenges that you faced along the way? I mean, did, did you have to pay for all of this out of your pocket? Was it, you um, know, well, you know, uh, I was single at the, at most of the time, except for my PhD. And you yeah. do get creative. I mean, there are scholarships yeah. out there. Um, I mentioned the bank reimbursed me 80% for my MBA. I did have some scholarships for the PhD, which kind of came a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but I honestly believe that you know, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in community college. I'm a big believer in trade schools. Um, yeah. You know, I just think people have to find their passion. And, um, but I am a big believer in education at any level. Learning, mm-hmm. learning. it's all about learning. Yeah. You know, even self-taught, Ken. I mean, you know, <clears throat> good for you for reading and continuing to read. And it's all about self-improvement. No one ever really yeah. arrives. We should all keep learning. You know, I had a, um, uh, it's funny because I've always, I've had in my 12th grade year of high school. Um, now I had a, a, I didn't have a dad that was a banker and I, I, it was a weird situation for me, but, but I, you know, I, I remember them calling me in going, you didn't get a biology credit in 10th grade. And I'm like, yeah, I really didn't care for that class, you know? And they're like, well, you have to have that to graduate. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, that's not applicable in real life. I'm never going to use that. So let's just, uh, you know, well, they didn't see it that way. So I literally just said, okay, well, good luck with life. I'm, I'm out of here. So I, I walked out in 12, wow. few months before graduation and never went back. But I, I, I will tell you that I, I, and I'm interested in your opinion because I think that that a lot of people will go to college, they'll get a degree, and then they think that's where it stops learning. Right. No, right? And it, and doesn't. it doesn't. 
No, it doesn't. And honestly, I want to give you a lot of credit because, um, you know, not everyone has your motivation to keep learning, given the fact that, you know, you didn't continue to pursue that. So, um, but you pursued learning in a different way. So that's the, and that isn't easy to do. So Ken, great for you. Well, and it's probably more, it was just insecurity because I always felt really insecure about not having graduated high school, but you know, I have employed a lot of college graduates, but you know, I don't, I don't, um, I think that what, what you're talking about is, is the importance of learning, whether it's through higher education or, or however you're going to learn, it's important to never stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that you um, have, have taught over the years? What are, what I, again, I don't, I didn't go to college, so I don't understand the whole. Yeah. So what, what did you You teach? In a smaller college, um, you know, we, we weren't, I was teaching business management and leadership and some marketing. And so in a smaller college, it's not really the college of business because we're a liberal, we were, we're a liberal arts college. And so I taught a variety of courses, organizational behavior, principles of management, principles of marketing, marketing management, strategic management, uh, managing diversity, which, you know, is becoming, I didn't think it'd be that important in 2020. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, what else? Um, I mean, that kind of covers it, I think. Yeah. Uh, but so I taught a variety of courses and actually I taught at the college level for 30 years and that's where Zach went to college. And then I left after 30 years, I kind of retired, although I don't like yeah. to retire because I wanted to do something else. I had to drive an hour each way. So two hours a day to get to my job. And wow. Once my kids were um, out of college, it was like, I have some time that I can give back to the community, but I couldn't give back because I worked out of the community. So Mm. the only way for me to really kind of get involved in some of the um, activities and organizations that I wanted to get involved in, I had to be here because they often meet at breakfast, lunch. Yeah. Um, And so I'm on not-for-profit boards. I'm on a paid bank board. Um, I'm very involved in my church. Uh, so, you know, I've really enjoyed having the time to pursue some of these things and the opportunity, because when I was out of town, you're really out of sight, you're out of mind, you know? Yeah. Right. mm -hmm. So So are you in a smaller area or are you in Des Moines? I'm in Des Moines, but I was in a small town Uh an hour south. Yeah. Got it. Well, and, and the, the winters in Iowa can make that drive probably a oh, bit um interesting. You know, I tell people, well, I was I was I only did it for 30 years and I only had about five car accidents and only two were really bad, but I never got hurt. Oh so, my gosh. So they never seemed that bad, but one was pretty bad. So there there's a YouTube video of I80 of of like all these it was a huge pileup a few years ago, and I've I've seen this for some reason. It pops up in my YouTube channel every now and then. But um, so you spent thirty years doing that. You retired, and and along the way during your thirty year stint in teaching, how many books did you write? A uh, five, and now I'm working on a, a sixth one. Yeah, and um, wow. yeah, you know, I just after getting a PhD, I just, I love the process of research. I love the process of interviewing people, uh, sharing what I learned. Uh, one, one book was about Mexican women leaders because Central College, have a, we have a program where students can study in Yucatan, Mexico. So I started interviewing women leaders there and taking photographs. And so wow. I've done a variety of things. And then when I left Central, I started teaching a graduate leadership course for the University of Iowa, but I could do that using Zoom in Des Moines. And I really enjoyed having the opportunity to teach graduate students. And wow. um, yeah, and so now I'm working on another book that we can talk about. So let's talk about that. What's the book? What's what's the book? Do you have a title for it? Yeah, well, I have a working title. Uh, okay. 
because uh, I've got, I just signed a contract with a, a publisher in Boston and nice. I'm working on that. Yeah. But the title is, um, well, one title is uh, Living Your Legacy. Mm. Uh, then it would have a subtitle. And then another title is called Your Breadcrumb Legacy. Because I've created this concept called Breadcrumb Legacy, where, um, in fact, I can ask you, Ken, um, when do we leave our legacy? <clears throat> when do we leave our legacy? Mm -hmm. And when do people often talk about legacy? After we're dead. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean... Right. Or when we when when we retire or stop okay. working, I, I would say more likely when when we've when we've passed to the other side. Okay, so that's true. That's often when people talk about it. You know, um, at the end of life, when people leave, when yeah. people uh, their their career, they leave their position. They yeah. that's true. But what I've discovered in my work and research is we're leaving it all the time. So I'm leaving some yeah. bread here right now with yep. you today yeah. and so for your listeners your watchers whoever's online um i'm leaving they're going to think something about me when we're done yeah and so i'm really trying to impress upon leaders or just people in general that it's really about a legacy is how you want to be remembered so how do you want to be remembered when you leave, leave the meeting, leave the room, leave the interaction, leave the conversation. And if you think about this all the time, I think you live your life differently. Yep. And so I'm on this mission now. It's hard to get traction, but I'd like to, but I'm getting some. And I'd, I'd really like to, you know, be a keynote speaker at some major conferences because to me, it's life changing. It's truly like a light bulb goes on when people hear this. Yeah. And they're like, well, of course, that makes sense. But I don't think most people are living their life in a way that they want to be remembered. Right. What, uh, so that's an interesting statement. <clears throat> I've said I, I say that all the time. I, I don't think people are living even remotely close to their potential. Um, most people, not all. So what do you think? stops people from 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 pursuing it more of life mm -hmm. i think um well first of all it's very interesting to be writing this book at this time during the pandemic and because yeah. life and death has become more it's like up front and center okay yeah I mean, because of COVID and we're, we are reminded daily of how many people are dying, either in the county, the state, the country. Um, right. So death is on people's minds. And so sure. um, I think I think I think my timing is honestly perfect. Yeah, I think more and more people are going to be thinking about what difference am I making? And I often use a quote by Jane Goodall, the anthropologist who says, you know, we all make a difference. The question is, what difference do you want to make? And so um, when you are mm. very aware and intentional of the difference you want to make, I think you make different decisions. I think you communicate those differently. I think uh, what matters tends to float to the top. And mm. um, when, you know, kind of going back to your question, I think we live in a society where because I often say we're connected 24 seven, but we're more disconnected than ever. So, mm. you know, we think we're connected because of technology, but technology can often disconnects us. Sure. And so from, from what each other, from, God, nature, you know, I mean, and even I'm guilty of it. You know, yeah. um, you know, when I first used my cell phone, it was like to read email, but the problem is now I'm reading the New York times on my phone. I'm reading, you know, our local paper on my phone. So it's, it's, it's not like I'm uh, trying to ignore people and, you know, paying attention. I'm not on Facebook, you know, uh, I mean, I have a Facebook account, but what I'm saying is I'm not using my phone for social media purposes. Really. Most of the time I'm writing on it. I'm uh, well, not really writing, reading, reading on it. So I think technology has been a disconnector for many people. I think it's misleading. They think they're connected, 
but they're they're really not so but i think during the pandemic you know there's all this emphasis on loneliness and isolation and um so i think people are going to be uh thinking more about this uh this whole idea of what difference am i making how am i living my life what really matters to me and i think what happens is people confuse busyness with you know, am I filling, am I fulfilling my life or am, am I just filling it up? You know, and so to me, there's a difference between filling it up with busyness or yeah. fulfillment. Totally agree with you. I, I, I can remember when um, a door to door salesman knocked on our door and my mother invited invited this guy in and she ended up buying the entire encyclopedia Britannica set for, for us, uh, her kids. And, and uh, you know, what's interesting is the kids today, probably 30 years and younger, at least have no idea what encyclopedia Britannica even is. So, you know, and, and I remember, I, I don't know what, when you were talking, I remember, you know, we had to research things in school and we had to go use microfilm and you, you held it, put it on that little reader thing. And, you know, people don't know about that stuff, you know, and that is a that's a different type of technology. It required more kind of grassroots stuff like now I can I mean, I have the Amazon device. If I say her name, she'll perk up. So I can't say her name, yeah. um, but but I can ask her almost anything and she gives me an answer or she turns lights on and off in my house for me. And it's completely different than, than, you know, 50 years ago or 40 years ago when I was a kid. And, you know, so how have you seen, and I agree with you, I totally agree, but have you seen where technology has also improved life for people? Well, I'm just amazed. Like for me doing research, um, I can find emails. I can, you know, and I can email high level people and they yeah. will, they will get back to me yeah. where if I left a phone message, they're not going to return that. No. But, you know, so for me, you know, a lot of that research, it's amazing what you can find online. So for research, I think it's amazing. Yeah. But um, one of the things that I've noticed when I was teaching and even in my graduate course, but more so in the undergraduate course, is the fact that I do not think writing skills have improved. Um, even with spell check, I mean, I would say to the students, spell check is not going to catch everything. You have to read. You have to proofread. Like one of my major mistakes when I'm typing is the word from and form. And, you know, you have to read, a spell check doesn't catch that. Now, maybe Grammarly would, I, you know, but the point is. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, but what about, what about the words? The, this is a pet peeve. And this is coming from a high school dropout. I can't stand it when people use their, their, and their wrong. It oh, makes me insane. Absolutely. Or like two, that is fundamentals of being alive. You need to learn how to do that properly. Right. Or two and T-O-O, you know. And T-W-O, um, yes. And so I do. I have not found, I did not find overall that writing skills for undergraduates went up because when I was in college, you know, when you, we had to type our papers. So by the time you type it, you have edited, 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 you know, your, your paper and yeah. um, proofread, proofread. Because when you typed it, that was it. Now what I find is students type it in and they think they're done, you know, yeah. rather than, you know, here they can move paragraphs, they can move sentences. So it, it is interesting, but. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I it, it is, I agree. So, so technology is, I do think that, and, and Kellen Ann says in the comments, they don't even teach cursive writing anymore, which is true. And it's mind blowing to me. It is mind blowing. It, I just can't believe that. Um, we're, we're teaching our kids how we're, you know, like we're teaching our daughter, like this is how, and my, my wife's brother and his wife are both teachers. They're, you know, in, in the school system here, but um, it's interesting that we're, we're, 
we're getting away from some of that. That's that's crazy. I don't get it. Well, and I remember so many of my quantitative courses, both in college and in graduate school. I remember I had this professor that said, "Yes, you can. You can have the uh, your calculator do it all. No, we're gonna know, we're gonna know the formulas. We're gonna know every yeah. you know. And even myself. I mean, I used to know a million zillion phone numbers of friends, but now because they're in my contacts and it pops up." I, so my memory, <laughs> I worry <I'm>, about. <laughs> well, it's like anything else. I believe that um, if you're going to, <clears throat> if you're going to maintain a, a, a healthy physique, you're going to have to exercise, right? If you're going to, if you're going to um, maintain a good memory, you have to exercise it. That's true. Very true. So, so, so this book that you're writing, what is the, um, what's the overarching message of the book, the new book? Yeah, the overarching message is that um, we, it, because I had a leadership book come out in 2013, and it's called Leading with Wisdom, Sage Advice from 100 Experts. Wow. It, it's on Amazon. But, and I interviewed actually more than 100, but my editor liked 100, but the conclusion was I was asking these sages, these very wise people, some of the top executive coaches, authors, professors, um, some of the top people in their field, how can I best prepare people to be the leaders needed in these uncertain times? Now, what's interesting to me, Ken, is that book was published in 2013. I started the research probably in 2008. The times have only become more uncertain. Yeah. I think that book has even uh, is even more relevant now. But I was asking them about leadership and they were telling me about life. So one of my conclusions is it's hard to be a good leader if you're not a good person. So this book on leadership is really a lot about if you want to leave the legacy you want to leave, then be aware of it because it's breadcrumbs. And then two, work on being the best person you can be. So it's a, it's, it's a kind of a self, kind of a uh, self-development book for leaders, but anyone can read it because my definition of a leader is anyone who's in the position to influence the lives of others. So that definition includes parents, teachers, pastors, coaches, employees, anybody, human beings, right. And the most <laughs> most important person to lead is yourself. So why this book, it's really for everybody, anybody, but it's kind of targeted towards leaders. So but a leader could be anybody. Right. I, I think, and look what Charles Coachman says, a top charter school in the Silicon Valley does not allow the use of computers or any other electronic devices they want true learning and the ability to think critically. I absolutely love that idea. Well, have you seen the movie? What's well, a documentary, Social Dilemma? I've uh, I, I've talked about it a lot. I haven't. I have not personally seen it, but well, we just watched it. And what's interesting is, again, it's a documentary, and so many of the people who are interviewed are people who worked at major technology companies. Yeah. Yeah. So Google, Facebook, Pinterest. Yeah. And um, over and over, several of them say, you know, we limit the time that our kids can, you know, use devices. I mean, they're very, very careful because they have experience with knowing really the damage that it can do. Yeah. Like when, when my kids were growing up, I have three sons, as I mentioned, like we yeah. never let them have, um, the thing that was popular at the time was um, X Games. What are those? Uh, Xbox. Xbox. We never had an Xbox. Wow. And I said, look at, you know, you're not going to have that. Because anytime you're spending on the Xbox, you're not reading, you're not creating, you're not doing something that you should be doing. So, yeah. Wow. Um, <clears throat> that's, uh, I, I can't. Um, like our, our 10 year old daughter has an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and, but again, and things have changed, Ken. They I mean, have. My kids were growing up. We didn't let them have iPhones until they could drive, or not iPhones, but cell phones. Yeah. Until yeah. they could drive because we didn't see a need for it. But now it is a camera. Now it is. And with safety, yeah. you know, I think it's, it's, I think times have changed enough that I probably would let my kids have a cell phone now. Yeah. Times have, and that, that's so true. Times have changed. There's, there's, there's a lot more, um, insanity. And sometimes I wonder if it's, if there's more insanity or if we're just more aware of it now because of technology. Yeah. I don't like, know. News happens and I mean, something happens and the whole world knows within seconds, like it's on Twitter or wherever, you know? So I'm just, I, I wonder if it's, if, if maybe that, that craziness happened before and we just weren't a, aware of it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah. So, so um, when's, when are you thinking the book's going to come out? Well, I'm hoping 2021 because I'm well on my way. In fact, after this interview, I've got a, a call with my uh, editor and publisher. So my kind of team. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm working on it and I'm, I'm uh, very hopeful. Yeah. What, um, a little bit off the topic, but what, what do you think the importance of, um, is any of this like spiritually based at all? Um, I like your word spiritual, um, because I, you know, I would say yes. Um, I am also certified as a saging leader. Saging is S A G E dash I N G. Mm -hmm. And the the organization is saging dot well it's saging international but the website is saging dot org. Again, it's s a g e dash i n g, and it's all about positive aging. And so, yeah. I weave those concepts in because the more you understand about positive aging, um, really, I think the better person you can be. And what I find interesting is I also wove those concepts into my last leadership book. Yeah. And um, while I was working on that book, I would be teaching what I was learning to undergraduates who would be 20, 21, 22. Right. And they loved it. They loved it. That's so awesome. it isn't like, you know, to me, positive aging, if you learn if you learn what it means to grow whole and grow in wisdom, and if you learn these concepts, the earlier you learn them, the better off you are. I think, you know, I had, and, and this may sound odd to you, but I had the, I had the great gift of becoming a raging alcoholic. And at 34 years old, I had a spiritual awakening, epiphany, whatever you want to call it. And, and I got into recovery and so it's been over 18 years for me now, but, Congratulations. but the, well, thank, I'm not, yeah, thank you. I'm not saying that for, but, but, you no, know, but I, AA is very spiritual. The, oh, it's the most, I've said this many times. It's the most spiritual program on planet earth. Um, I think because you don't have to have a pre conceived notion of what God is to, to be a member. Like you can, I remember sponsoring a kid that said he loved my Mercedes. He's like, I, I can't believe in God. Can I, can I use your car as my higher power? I'm like, yeah, just take good care of it. Wash it a lot, you know, but like, you know, I think that I, I, I truly believe that once, because I was a bad person prior to getting so not bad at the core, I just made really bad choices in life. Right. And it's our choices that that equal our, our our consequences. And and so, you know, I I I do know that once I, I got sober and I started looking at, wow, I've really been a jerk. <laughs> like I've been a really bad person. And then you go, okay, well, now I need to clean up my past. I need to work on becoming a better person. And I so one of my favorite quotes is. Um, pain is the predecessor of all wisdom. And, and I think that, I think that sometimes to become a better person, 
you have to do stupid things for a while. <laughs> I don't, does that make sense? It does. And I'm familiar with AA because I've, I've been part of an Al-Anon group because of a family member. Yeah. So I'm very familiar with the concepts and yeah. I really like their emphasis on uh, making amends, yep. forgiveness, forgive yourself. Um, yep. Because, you know, even in the journey of becoming a, a better person, a good person, whatever, we all make mistakes. Absolutely. Just yeah. being aware of them and doing something about it. Yeah. See, I, I've, I, I would look at somebody with a PhD who's taught college and, and on the college level for 30 years and think, wow, you're perfect and you've never made a mistake. And right. Like, I mean, but that's, that's outside perceptions. And, and my sister's a nurse practitioner and, and she's like, I look at my sister and I think you're per she's old, my older sister, but she's like, it's almost like she's never made a mistake. I know that's not true, but but like, you know, I think that it that's what my show is about is showing that no matter what level of life you're on. I mean, Grant Cardone's been on. He's worth five hundred million dollars. Right. And he's made mistakes. He talks about it, you know, and and a lot of people. So so what do you see as the biggest growth opportunity for human beings to, to be able to embrace the mistakes they've made and become better as humans? Mm -hmm. Well, that's an excellent question. And I think it, it, I think, I think the answer is awareness because you can't improve something you don't know about. I mean, High even, five. yeah, <laughs> even in a, let's see, where's my, <laughs> even, even in a, you know, significant other relationship, marriage, whatever, um, if, if, if you're not communicating and someone doesn't tell you what it is or what's bothering, you know, you can't fix it. So it's got to be either, you either have to have feedback where you're collecting feedback regularly, or you have to be very self-aware. And that's self-awareness. That's the first step in uh, this concept we call emotional intelligence. So if you're going to be emotionally intelligent, it has to start with, I have to know as much about myself as possible. So I have to know when I made a mistake. I have to know when I need to make amends. Um, yeah. That conversation, um, whether it might be a difficult, challenging conversation. Um, yeah. To me, it's all, it starts with self-awareness. If you don't have self-awareness, then you, it's not, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, I, you know, I am a proud member of Al-Anon as well. So okay. I, 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 and <laughs> what's crazy about it is, is, you know, an alcoholic leaves, leaves like there's real evidence that there's a, there's an issue. <laughs> and, and, and for somebody like me uh, that's recovered from codependency as well, like there was there, you know, the evidence is a lot more difficult to see as the codependent. So I, you know, like you don't realize I'm, I'm, I'm just a good dude. I'm just trying to help fix their life, you know, and, and, and it's not necessarily the case. So um, <clears throat> I think that I, I love, I love everything you're talking about. So with the, the, um, the codependency thing, how, how, um, how has that helped you in your journey? Um, your involvement, well, I guess. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I think what I had to learn is, um, one of the things that was, I had to break through, I think is I was a pleaser, you know, again, a, looking, it's always seeking approval, you know, yep. and I had to break through that, realize yeah. that, you know, I'm not going to get approval from everyone. And, and, you know, I had to have everybody like me and, not everybody's going to like you. And um, so I think to be a good person, you have to realize that sometimes the that need to be approved or loved um, isn't a flaw. It, it, it just is life. And, and therefore, I can stand stronger on my own because I'm not always looking for approval. Amen. I love that. So what do you think the number one thing is that is holding people back from happiness and success in life? 
I think uh, I think some people. It's kind of interesting, Ken. I'm writing a paper about this right now. I think. Really? Yeah, I am. I think mm-hmm. because I'm writing happiness and happiness and meaningfulness are two different things. Yeah. And there's a Stanford professor, Jennifer Aker, A A K E R, and she writes a lot about this. Um, that happiness is about receiving. Mm. And meaningfulness is about giving. And happiness tends to be more short term and meaningfulness tends to be more long term. And happiness tends to be, uh, you know, the focus on uh, I'm happy and meaningfulness realizes that you may be happy, but sometimes it involves pain like you talked about. And um So I think one thing that prevents people, I think some people, um, is is their definition of success. Um, Mm. One research project I read recently that even millennials think, you know, if they chase, you know, fame and fortune and uh, notoriety, that that's going to make them, that's going to make them feel successful. Yeah. And that's not really true. And so I think people chase happiness when what they're really looking for is meaningfulness, something on a deeper level. Um, wow, that's so true. Of, well, and I think a lot of people just, again, we, we are so busy that we don't think about um, what would really make us happier, what would really be a meaningful activity. And therefore, if we're not thinking about that, then we're not thinking about legacy, which is what difference are we making? It's all related. I know it's all related. And Ken, it's all going to be in my book. It's all going to be in my book. Have you ever read anything by um, Anthony DeMello? No, no, I haven't. That's no. He was a Jesuit priest and he wrote a book called, um, wow. Um, and it's one of my favorite books and I'm drawing a blank, um, awareness, Okay. And, and, and he talks about, and throughout the book, he, he'll, he'll make a point and then he puts in big, bold letters, wake up with an exclamation point. And, and, you know, I think that I really, truly think that most people, and I want to hear your opinion on this, that most people are asleep at the wheel. I, I think you're right. I mean, that's one reason why I like, uh, caribou coffee i like their tagline you know life is short stay awake for it <laughs> but i think a lot of people are just sleepwalking through life yeah and um it's true and then all of a sudden it's like you know an illness comes or something happens and then people are like well where'd my life go what happened i mean that's why you know um years ago uh tony robbins and uh you know, he kind of, and I don't know if he's, he's the one I learned it from, but I don't know if he was the originer, originator of, uh, called NDE, near death experience. So yeah. and we all need to be having these near death experiences where we imagine them. We're not, we don't have to physically have them. Right. But right. you think that, you know, um, you know, that this could be the end then, uh, you know, you start living your life differently. And so why do we have to wait until it really is the end to start living our life differently? That is, yeah, why? That's a yeah. great question. <laughs> no, I don't know why. Oh. <laughs> I, again, I think people are busy. I think there's a lot of fear involved. Yeah. When you're talking about death and dying, I think there's a lot of fear involved. I had... Um, I, I, you don't, I don't know if you know who Andy Frasilla is, um, but Andy is the CEO of a company in St. Louis that is in the health and fitness industry. And they do about three, $400 million a year in business. And, and it, what's interesting is he has this insatiable drive for um, just everything that he does, everything. And, and so he was on the, on, on, on the show. And I said to him, dude, you have this insatiable drive for success for, for everything you do. Where does that come from? Like, it's incredible. 
And, and he said, honestly, <clears throat> he goes, you know, for the first 10 years I had my business, I made $55,000 total in 10 years. And I go, what? I go, you could have made more money flipping hamburgers and McDonald's. And he goes, I know. He goes, so I'm talking to my business partner this one day. And, and I said, dude, we can't keep doing this. I'm living in the back storeroom of our store. It's crazy. Like, you know, I've made 5,000 bucks a year for 10 years in a row. And I can't keep doing this. I'll go work at McDonald's if I have to. And he goes, but see, there was this thing. I was always chasing money, always thinking I got to have the nice cars and the woman and all I got to have all this, these things, right? He goes, so my business partner and I are having this conversation and this woman walks into our store and, and starts telling us about how much our products have changed her life. She lost all this weight. She, you know, had all, all of the, these amazing things that happened for her in her life. And, and he goes, dude, when she walked out, I looked at my partner and I go, that's why we're in this business. I don't care if we ever get rich. That right there is why we're in this business. It's to make a difference in people's lives. He goes, it was about five years later, I was a multimillionaire. Hmm. He's like, it was like God was testing me saying, you know, let's see, let's see what you're really in this life for, you know? And so That's I think story. it's a great story. And I think that it, it, and I say it to remind myself that, you know, if we are here on this planet, I mean, it's not about, it's not about chasing the money. Although having money is great. I, I trust me, I've been, I've been homeless and I've been rich and I like being rich better. I'm just going to be honest. But the, you know, if we're here to make a difference and in your studies for this book, are you, I'm assuming you're studying people. Yeah. Yeah, are I you mean, finding I never, that, that that the people that that are leaving the greatest legacies are focused on on making a difference in the world? Definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. What are some examples that you have? Well, one leader I interviewed who I like a lot is um, Bill George. He's the former CEO of Medtron Medtronics in Minneapolis. Uh huh. And he wrote a book several years ago. It's on my shelf called True North. And, you know, again, very disciplined, very, you know, you would read that and say, yeah, it's spiritually oriented, you know, but not religion. Right. Um, right. When I mentioned Sagine, uh, that organization was started by a really um, Jew, Jewish person, Jewish rabbi. Yeah. But now it's interdenominational. I mean, it's not just, you know, these yeah. concepts are not Jewish. They're not Protestant. Right. They're not Catholic. You know, they're right. just. They're really good, wholesome. There's a book, uh, I, it's, you know, again, it's kind of timeless, but it's called, um, uh, oh gosh, oh God, wisdom, something wisdom in the title. It's a management book, and Dorothy Marsick is the, the author. But anyway, um, just about how all these, you know religious spiritual concepts they all boil down to kind of the same principles you know compassion and love and forgiveness and yeah and do unto others right. <laughs> like, right. you know don't be an idiot yeah. <laughs> you know simple simple things like your life will be better if you're nice to people right so so where's the um i'm gonna pop your website up on the screen so tell me is it, um, is it just janfreed.com? Yeah, you have to have two N's and two E's. Yep. Dot com. Let me, and where is the art? So you're not active on social media or you are? No, I, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Okay. I would say definitely LinkedIn and, and Facebook. Um, okay. I do so, I do executive coaching. I do workshops. I do keynote speeches. Um, you know, my my if, when you go to my website, what will pop up is, you know, engage leaders. You know, engage employees, develop leaders, and yeah. uh, find meaning and purpose. So it's really about you know find meaning and purpose through a breadcrumb legacy. And are all of your books on Amazon? They're all on Amazon. Yep. Okay. Awesome. So Jan, one last question. 
Okay. And I want to thank you very much for having me on your show, Ken. I thank you for being here. This has been a great pleasure. But the one last question is, there was this there was this moment in time for me when I, I had a, it's a long story I won't go into, but I, I had all these employees and, and one of them informed me that somebody was out in the parking lot trying to repossess my car. Mm-hmm. And, and so in, in that moment, because my employees were getting paid, I wasn't. But in that moment, I remember thinking this is the lowest day of my entire life. I was humiliated. I was, it was horrible. Um, for the people that are going through really, really tough times, the suicide rate right now in this country is, is ridiculous. It's awful. Um, for the people who are going through, can't pay their bills, can't, you know, they're, they just don't know what to do. What do you say to that person that may be listening or watching right now, um, to help them, get through this and, and, and succeed, make it. Uh, well, Ken, that's a big question. I but know. What I say is, you know, this kind of goes back to Brene Brown and her emphasis on, you know, there's no shame in asking for help. And um, there are all kinds of organizations out there that want to help people. I'm on a couple of boards of them. Um, so first of all, really kind of check out your resources. Don't be embarrassed to ask for help. People want to help. And, um, and then I think, you know, look for, look for hope. Be hopeful. Because one of the things that I've often, you know, worry about with when people are, you know, suicidal is, you know, Tomorrow can be a better day, you know, um, try to live for just one more day, you know, and, and ask for help when you need it. Let people yeah. know you need help. There's no shame in that. Well, I mean, look, I, you know, we touched a little bit on, on recovery and, mm-hmm. um, I, <laughs> I had to, and I even had to, after I was sober for, for years and 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 then i went to al-anon because i realized oh hold on i have a, a problem with trying to fix people um so it's you know common. that's very common for sure yeah it is so and the other but, thing i want to say ken is you know i really want to thank you for sharing your vulnerability because i view vulnerability i tell leaders vulnerability is a strength yeah. because people view you know leaders aren't perfect Leaders make mistakes. Leaders don't have to have all the answers. Yep. Thanks, Ken. Uh, you're awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you being on this morning. Everybody go follow Jan, Dr. Jan Freed, and um, look her up on Facebook and LinkedIn and everywhere. And Jan, thank you. Stay with me. I'm going to end the live stream. You'd stay with me so we can chat real quick. Okay. And- I want to give a shout out to Zach Benson once again, though. I know Zach is amazing. Thank you, Zach, for the referral. And Dr. Jan, thank you again. I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everybody.